this morning in your grace. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to work for it. We can simply rest knowing that you've done everything necessary to bring us to yourself. And Lord, this isn't the end. This, This world is not our ultimate home. And God, as we talk about that this morning, I just pray that you would open up our eyes and soften our hearts and that you could even create and build within your people, Lord, an anticipation and a desire to be closer to you for that day that will one day come. And so, Lord, we need you in this place, and we're just going to pray that you'd fill it, fill it with your presence, because we need more of you and we need less of me. <laughs> so that's our request this morning, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, Edinburgh. It's good to be here with you. Uh, If you are a guest with us this morning, I do want to just give you a warm welcome. Say, we're so glad you're here. If you're watching online, we're also glad that you are tuned in and a part of what's going on here uh, at Edinburgh Church. Uh, We've been in a series uh, called What in the Word? <laughs> and it's a, it's a play on this expression, what in the world? Because we all have things in life that cause us to scratch our heads and um, that we don't always understand. And in the same way, there are things in God's Word, the Bible, that causes us to scratch our heads and sometimes raise more questions than they do answers. And next week, I'm going to talk about how does God work in our life? How does his grace work? Because we don't see him. We can't touch him. And so how does he exactly work in our life? You're going to want to be here next week as we talk about God's grace. And then we're going to celebrate Palm Sunday together. And then if you can believe it, we're going to be celebrating Easter. Easter will be here. And so I want to encourage you to start praying for five people that you could potentially invite to our Easter service. This is a time of year where many people will feel comfortable coming into a church. And friends, we have the best news in the world, and we get an opportunity to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. There's going to be a lot going on that morning. We're going to have a petting zoo, and so after we pet the animals, then we'll have the barbecue, and you can stick around for that. That was terrible. There will be no barbecue. The animals will be safe, I promise. But I do want to encourage you to invite your family, your friends, and your neighbors to our Easter service. This morning, though, I'm dealing with this topic. What happens after you die? Many years ago, uh, a friend of mine owned a four-wheeler. And he was like, hey, man, I want you to use this four-wheeler. My kids were there. And so um, he, he wanted me to give my kids a ride on this four-wheeler. He showed me where all the gears were and how everything worked. But the only thing I really paid attention to was where the accelerator was. I knew how to make this thing go. And so we got on it, and we started flying. And we're not just on roads. We're off-roading here, going through trees. And I start going down this huge hill. My kids, again, on this four-wheeler with me. We're starting to pick up a lot of speed when I realize I don't remember where the brake is. So I start yelling, where is the brake on this thing? Danielle's standing nearby. She's starting to get concerned because we are really picking up speed. I'm trying to remember where's the brake when all of a sudden uh, I hear my son start praying. 
And he says something along the lines of, God, I know it's my dad's job to, to help people meet Jesus, but this isn't the way I wanted to meet you. I'm not ready yet. He said something along those lines. Now, I think he was kidding and just giving me a hard time, but isn't it true that sometimes we feel that way? Like, we're not ready to meet Jesus? Like, we believe in this idea of heaven, but we're not so sure we're ready to go there just yet. You couple that with what many of us think happens to us after we die. You know, some people believe in something called reincarnation, and this is the idea that, um, you know, when you die, you're sort of recycled. You, you, you come back as something or someone else. If you were a bad person, you'll come back as like an animal or something like that. If you were really bad, you'll come back as an insect, like an ant. If you were a good person, you'll come back as a human being. And if you were really good, you know, maybe you come back as like a quarterback in the NFL, something like that. That's the idea of reincarnation. Uh, others of us, we don't believe that. Others of us, we, we just believe that when you die, you die. And you basically are laid in the ground to become worm food, and that's, that's it. Um, there's no consciousness. There's no memories. It, you're just sort of done. Your, your time is up. And by the way, if you believe in naturalistic Darwinism, that is the logical conclusion of what you believe. That's where it ends. We are just material beings. Uh, there is no spiritual realm. And so when your time is up, your time is up. That, by the way, is what we are taught in public schools and the universities today. Many people believe that. Others of us, we do believe in this idea of an afterlife. We believe in this idea of heaven, but for some of us, we're not so sure because we've heard so many of those, you know, Peter at the pearly gates type jokes, and we just think, you know, when you die, maybe you float up to a cloud and you start playing a harp or something like that. Others of us, we believe that it's going to be like this eternal, long church service. Now, don't get me wrong. I love coming to church, okay? I love our church services, but I also like nature. I also like just being with my family. I like eating foods and things like that. So this idea of an eternally long church service, friends, that doesn't sound all that exciting to me. And, and if you believe some of these ideas, I can see why you wouldn't necessarily want to go there. I remember when I was um, younger, uh, this idea of what happens to us after we die, it used to really concern me, and if I can be brutally honest, even caused me panic attacks. I didn't have a relationship um, with Jesus, and so I just thought that when we die, we die, and that's it, and that used to even wake me up in the middle of the night, um, making me wonder and, and, uh, how long I, I was going to live, and causing me great fear, and I remember talking to other people about this, and they would talk about it so flippantly. Yeah, yeah, you die. You're done. You're not going to know any better. And I remember just thinking, really, this is like the most important question of our life. What happens to us after we die? I would ask you that question this morning. What do you think happens after we die? In fact, I'll ask you a little bit of a different question. What do you think is going to happen to you after you die? 
Eventually, I started reading my Bible, and one day I stumbled upon these words that Jesus says in John 14, and these words were such an encouragement to me, and I hope these words will be an encouragement to you. He says this in verse 2 and 3 of, of chapter 14. He says, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Why would I tell you that? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Friends, this is really, really good news, what Jesus is saying here. That he's saying that after we die, he's talking to his followers here, that he will come and he will get us and we will spend our eternity with him in this place called, this place called heaven. And this is why this is important, because the reality is at some point, you and I are going to face death. You and I are going to die. Um, the death rate in the world is still 100%. Friends, it doesn't matter how much kale you eat. It doesn't matter how much hot yoga you do and Pilates. It doesn't matter how much kombucha you drink. I, I don't care how many probiotics you take. You can drink apple cider vinegar every day and put coconut oil on everything. All right, you can eat organic, gluten-free, dairy-free, GMO-free foods. You can detox every impure thing out of your body. You can drink matcha tea, bone broth, coconut water, almond milk. You can eat chia seeds. You can eat chickpeas, and you can eat every kind of sprouted food. You are still going to die someday. This is just a reality for every single one of us in this room. The death rate is still 100%. You know, in a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to be celebrating Easter and I need us to hear this this morning. What we're celebrating on Easter, friends, this is not just something to help us feel better. Easter is not just, you know, a flowery idea to help us get through life so that we don't face fear. Easter is a historical event that you and I need to be aware of. Many people don't realize this, but there's a lot of historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, I love what the Apostle Paul says. He's talking to the church in Corinth here. I'm sure they were afraid of death as well. And even the church in Corinth, we're told, was doubting the resurrection of Jesus. Because it's such an incredible idea, it's such an incredible claim. And so in chapter 15, the Apostle Paul, he says this, he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. That's very important. Though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, I also saw him. So he's talking here to people who just like you and I, I mean, 
wonder what's going to happen to us after we die. I'm sure these were people who were trying to do things and eat healthy foods and exercise so they could live as long as possible. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. Exercise and eating healthy, those are good things. They can actually help with the quality of your life. But they'll never help you cheat death. And so they too were struggling with this idea of a resurrection because it's such an incredible claim. But did you hear what the Apostle Paul just said? He just said there were over 500 people in one incident that witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ. We sometimes forget that Jesus was on the earth for 40 days after he was raised from the dead. He was on the earth walking around for 40 days. That's a long time. And did you catch that Paul said, many of those people, they're still alive. Why was Paul saying that? He's just saying, if you, if you doubt my word for it, go ask them. <laughs> go ask these people and see if this Jesus really showed up to them. I mean, it'd be one thing if you asked one person, hey, did you see this Jesus? And they're like, yeah, we saw him. He was sitting on those steps and he was teaching us right over there. That'd be one thing. You might think, okay, maybe that happened or maybe... They just thought they were seeing something. But if you asked a second person and they said, yep, we saw Jesus, we were there. If you asked a third person and they said, yep, we saw him. A fourth person, a fifth person, you ask 50 of those people and they all say, no, we saw him. He was walking around for 40 days. We talked to him. We heard his teachings. He would eat with us. You would start to believe that this resurrection was more than just a flowery idea. You'd begin to realize this was an actual historical event. Something that took place. For me, one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection, it's, it's the lives of the apostles. I, I don't know if you know this, but all of the disciples would end up giving their lives for Jesus. And what's incredible about that is when you actually read the Gospels and read about the disciples, you read how afraid they were as Jesus' disciples. In fact, we know Peter, right, when Jesus was being crucified, Peter denied Christ three times. After Jesus was crucified, we're told the disciples went into a place of hiding, and they were hiding from the, the, the religious leaders, and they were hiding from the Romans because they didn't want to be next. They were afraid. And by the way, if you were writing the Bible to try to teach a lie or to convince people something that's not true, don't you think you might take those parts out? Maybe the parts where you were afraid and you were acting cowardly, but they didn't. They left it in there to tell us that's exactly what happened. And then all of these men are going to end up dying in terrible deaths for this Jesus. Some of them were crucified like Jesus. In fact, Peter was crucified, but he was turned upside down on the cross. Others of them were stoned to death in the city streets. Some of them were beheaded. Thomas was run through by a sword. These men died terrible death. John is the only one who died somewhat of a natural death. He died on the island of Patmos in exile. You got to ask yourself the question, why would these disciples all be willing to go to the grave and be killed for their faith? Friends, I believe it's simple. They saw Jesus die, and then three days later, they saw Jesus come out of the grave. And he was walking around, and they realized this Jesus has conquered death, just as he said. This is good news for us, friends. Really good news. Some of you might have heard about Lee Strobel and his story. Lee Strobel, he's a, 
He was an atheist and well-known investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune. He had a law background. His wife, Leslie, became a believer, and Lee was furious about this. He couldn't believe that his wife was starting to believe in this Jesus and come to church. So he put his investigative skills to use and set out to disprove the claims of Christianity, primarily the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He spent two years talking to top scholars across the world and doing his investigation on whether Jesus really died and rose from the grave. But at the end of those two years, Lee Strobel found that the evidence for Jesus' resurrection was more than overwhelming. In fact, by seeing the change that took place in his wife and looking at the evidence, Lee Strobel eventually gave his life to Jesus. He's now a follower today, pastoring people today. If you've never read the book, The Case for Christ, or any of his other books, I highly recommend them. He does a great job in his research, and he says this in one of his writings. It would take more faith for me to believe Jesus wasn't resurrected than to believe he was, because the evidence was that strong. Friends, I want us to realize this morning that if this is true, if Jesus was raised from the dead and conquered death, this is the best news that there is. Because it means even after we die, we can have eternal life and we will live on. Jesus says, I've prepared this place for you and I will take you to be with me. But that doesn't mean everybody's going to heaven or going to receive this eternal life. In fact, we read this in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 12. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. That's whose throne this is. It's God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. The book of life, we're told, this is the book where every believer, those who have put their faith in Jesus, their name is written in this book, the book of life. Then in verse 15, we read this, anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, many people think that this might be a metaphor, this idea of the lake of fire, and maybe it is, but it doesn't sound like a good time. Okay, this sounds like a terrible thing, and it sounds like a terrible place. The lake of fire. And friends, I want you to know, it gives me no pleasure to talk about the lake of fire or to talk about God's judgment. But as I said last week, if we don't understand God's justice and if we don't understand God's judgment, what was the point of the cross? What was the point of Jesus dying in our place? The whole point of the cross is Jesus taking our sin upon himself and paying out our judgment for us so that you and I never had to worry about paying that judgment. Never have to worry about paying that price. In fact, a great way to think about the cross is imagine that God has the lake of fire in in a bowl or in something like that. What Jesus was doing when he hung on the cross was he was taking the lake of fire that every one of us deserved and he was letting that be poured out on him so that you could be off the hook and you could be set free. Friends, if we don't understand the justice and the judgment of God, we can't understand the love of God because it's God who made this sacrifice for us because his desire is that not one of us would suffer in this place called the lake of fire. 
In fact, in 1 Timothy 2.4, God tells us this. God desires all people to be saved and understand the truth. That's God's desire, that all of us would be saved and none of us would end up in that place. Friends, that's the mission of this church. The mission of this church is not that we would grow into a big church. The desire and the goal of this church is not that we would be well-known in a well-known church. The mission, the goal, the desire of this church is that we would see one more person give their life to this Jesus and receive the eternal life that he promises us. Last week, I did a gospel invitation, and I asked people if they'd like to make a first-time decision for Christ. We had five people text in and say, yes, I want this Jesus in my life. Five people. One of them came backstage, and I got to chat with them a little bit. I spent over half an hour talking with this young man. This young man's had a, a troubled road. He deals with depression, and he deals with anxiety, and I got to talk to him, and I asked him, are you ready this day to finally make the decision to receive this Jesus in your life? He said, I am, and I got to pray with him, and he invited Christ. Do you realize, friends, he walked out of here a new creation? Do you realize he walked out of here a child of God? Do you realize that in that moment he crossed over from death to life and that the promise of eternity was his? That, that's what this church exists to do. But sometimes we wonder, okay, so then what does this afterlife look like exactly with Jesus? And is this really a place I want to go? Well, with the rest of our time we have, I, I'm going to give you just a few things the Bible teaches us about heaven. And my hope is that you wouldn't just say, well, I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but that you would actually look forward to going to be with Jesus. The first thing that we learn about heaven is that you will have a perfect physical body. A perfect physical body. Uh, some of us maybe think of heaven as like a state of mind or this spiritual place, but do you realize that heaven is actually a physical place that has a physical location that exists somewhere? When Jesus was raised, he wasn't raised as a spirit. He's raised with a physical body. And when he ascended from earth, he ascended in a physical body. And I don't fully understand it, but Jesus went somewhere. He went to a physical place where he now lives physically, where he breathes and walks around in a resurrected body. When we read uh, different descriptions about heaven, we read about nature being a part of heaven. We read about a city that is in heaven, the city of God. We read about animals. When Jesus was on earth, he ate with the disciples in his resurrected body. Seems to suggest we will still eat in heaven. That's enough to make us say amen, amen. But I love what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 2 through 3. He says this, we grow weary in our present bodies. What's he talking about? We grow weary. We have aches. We have pains. Our bodies fail us, and they fail our loved ones. But he says we long, underline that, we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. Like we're excited for these new bodies. For we will put on heavenly bodies, and then get this, we will not be spirits without bodies. 
This is amazing. This is telling us here that when we are in heaven, we are going to have physical bodies. We're not going to just be spirits floating around. Last year downstairs in our children's area, we built a rock climbing wall that stretches across the entire back wall. And when it was completed, we went down there as an E-team, part of the staff, to check out the rock climbing wall. Well, as soon as I saw it, I jumped on it. I wanted to start climbing this rock climbing wall, okay? But I noticed none of the other E-team was joining me. I kind of looked back and I saw they were kind of like rubbing muscles, and some of them were kind of like stretching their back. I think a couple of them had to ask for chairs and sit down because we'd been standing so long. I'm not going to tell you who was there. I'll just let you know Pastor Josh was a part of the E-team. <laughs> and here I am, I'm climbing on this wall all by myself. Well, this last summer, I tweaked my back and I did something to my back. And I have found myself walking past that rock climbing wall, having no desire to climb it. Now it looks like a back spasm waiting to happen. This is what happens, right? Our bodies begin to age. Our bodies begin to experience aches and pains. And we see this in our loved ones as well. And by the way, our bodies are not just our muscles and our joints. Our bodies are our brains. And what we're being told is that someday we're going to be given new, perfect, physical bodies. There won't be any more chemical imbalances going on in your brain. There won't be any more depression. There won't be any more dementia. We're Alzheimer's. We'll have new, perfect, physical bodies. The second thing we learn about heaven is that we will be rewarded for how we lived on earth. The Bible teaches what we'll be rewarded 2 Corinthians 5.10 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul goes on to say this, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now, I just want to be clear here. He's not talking about being judged whether you're going to heaven or this lake of fire. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that has already been settled. You never need to say, I hope I go to heaven someday. Or, I think I'm going to go to heaven someday. Uh, Jesus has already paid the price, and because you believe in Jesus, you say, Jesus is good enough. I know for a fact I'm going to heaven someday. So then what is Paul talking about here? This is something the Bible calls rewards, or heavenly rewards. It's the idea that every believer is going to stand before Jesus someday and Jesus is going to reward us for how we lived our life here on earth. I'm here to tell you not all of us are going to get trophies in heaven. Some of us are going to have more. Some of us are going to have less. We're all going to be glad we're there. But Jesus is going to reward us for how we live our lives here on earth. Our problem is that we have a tendency to want to live here on earth and make the most of this life. But if we believe what we say we believe, Jesus has asked us to lay down our lives, to be willing to invest in the life that's to come. Many of you have seen me use this illustration over the years. Used it for many years. But this rope here, imagine that it stretches through this building and then it goes through earth and then it goes out into space, okay? And then it goes past Pluto, and it goes into distant galaxies. 
And it just keeps going and going and going. This rope represents your existence. It literally represents trillions and trillions and trillions of years. Your life here on earth is this. The Bible says it's a breath. Or it's like a mist. If you're fortunate, 80 to 100 years. And what Jesus has asked us to do is be willing to trade this. And to be willing to lay down our lives and to follow him so that we can invest it in this. Every time you're kind to somebody who maybe doesn't deserve your kindness, you're investing in this. When you forgive someone, maybe someone who doesn't deserve your forgiveness, you're investing in this. Some of you are dealing with mental problems and health issues. And Jesus is saying, as you persevere through that, you're investing in this. Just keep following me. Some of you are dealing with temptations. And Jesus is saying, as you press through those temptations, you're investing in, in this. When you're a part of the local church and you're serving He never asked you to sit on the sidelines. He asked you to be a part of the game. He calls you a member, a part of the body of Christ. Even if it's just once a month, being a part of what God is doing, whatever local church you're a part of, if this isn't your church home, you're investing in this. When you give and you're financially faithful, God doesn't ask for all of your money. He does ask for 10%. It's a way of saying, God, I trust you. I trust you with my finances, and it's also a way that God uses our finances here on earth so that his kingdom can advance. When you do that, you you are investing in this. Friends, my point here, this life is a test. That's what this is. I've talked to people here at Edinburgh. I know some of you, you even contemplate suicide from time to time. Don't. You are to use this time. This time is a test for you to invest in this. You have a purpose here on earth. In other words, what I'm trying to say is don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. As the missionary Jim Elliott once said, he said, he's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. Friends, don't waste your life. You will be rewarded one day when you stand before Christ, and you will be glad your pastor reminded you of these things. But I need these reminders too. Last, I want us to see that we will be truly home. We do have a tendency to make this world all that there is, but when we look at verse 1, of chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says this, he says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. He, he, he compares this world that we live in to a tent. Let me ask you this question. How many of you like tent camping? Okay, there's a few of you. How many of you hate tent camping? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I did see this the other day. There's something called glamping. 
I don't know if any of you have seen this picture or, you know, seen these kinds of tents. Um, this is... That's glamping, friends. That's nicer than the first home we ever lived in, okay? Um, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about straight-up tent camping. Okay, Daniela, we do not tent camp anymore. Last time we went tent camping, we were trying to fall asleep, and I started hearing the cooler open, and there was r- this rustling of chips. I was wide awake, Danielle was wide awake, and I could tell that, you know, she was terrified, and I couldn't say anything, because it was my idea to go camping, and I knew if I said it, she was like, what is that? And I knew if I freaked out, she was going to freak out, and then I would freak out. So I was just trying to play it cool, but we also wanted to know what is out there, because we saw this giant shadow start looming over our tent, you know, with the, the, the fire was going, and... Finally, I mustered up the courage to ask Danielle to stick her head out the tent and see what was going on. (laughs) And she did. And it turned out it was a giant, massive raccoon. Now, to some of you, that doesn't sound terrifying, but we were terrified. We didn't want a raccoon in in our camp. We didn't sleep all night. And when we woke up, as soon as the sun came up and and, and we could get out of our tent, we packed it up and we headed home. That's what Paul is saying this life is like. This life is like tent camping, but God has prepared something so much better for you. He's prepared this place called heaven, and it's described like a house. It's so much better. You weren't made for death. You weren't made for the sorrows that we face in this life. You weren't made for sin and to have to deal with that. You weren't made to have to deal with depression. You weren't made to have to deal with anxiety. And Paul here is reminding us God has prepared a place for us where we won't have to deal with those things any longer. There won't be any more death. There won't be any more anxiety or depression. There won't be any more tears. There won't be any more pain. We'll be with our loved ones forever and ever and ever, and we will see Jesus face to face. Friends, what Paul is telling us here is the best is still yet to come. No matter what you're going through today, the best is still to come for your life if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And I know some of us, maybe you're skeptical towards this whole God thing, you're skeptical towards this whole church thing, but I just want to ask you this question this morning, what if it's all true? What if Jesus really did die, and what if he really did come out of the tomb? And what if we really do have eternal life? What if this is all true? I'd be remiss if I didn't give some of you an opportunity this morning to invite this Jesus into your life because the best evidence you can ever have is not studying the historical evidence, though I encourage you to do that. The best evidence you can have is by inviting Christ into your life and experiencing him for yourself. You will see that he is a good God. You will see that he is not dead, he is alive. And you will learn if you can trust him in this life, you can learn to trust him 
in the life to come. Jesus himself said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Friends, if that's you this morning and you would like to make that decision, I want to encourage you to let us know so that we can send you a free resource. You can just text message in Yes Jesus to 555-888. Just let us know that you've made a decision for Jesus this morning. And for the rest of us, here's my challenge to you. Don't waste your life. You get one life to live. Use it to invest in the eternity that is to come. There are two things you won't be able to do in heaven. You won't be able to sin, and you won't be able to tell anyone else the good news of this Jesus Christ. Don't waste your life. At this point, I'm going to ask us to stand up, and I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you give us time. Some of us are hearing this message this morning, and we're going to be thankful that there is more time for us to invest in the eternity that is to come. I want to pray that we wouldn't waste our lives, but we would make the most of it, that we would be willing to serve the purpose and the mission you've given us here on earth, God. And I know there are some of us this morning who we need to make that decision for Jesus so that we don't have to fear death any longer, but we can receive the free gift of eternal life. And if that's you this morning, I just want you to know you don't have to clean up your act. You don't have to have it all together before you come to Jesus and ask him for this. This is why he came. He knows we're sinners, all of us. And he's willing to take that sin upon himself and to take your punishment and your place so that you can be off the hook and so you can spend eternity with God because that's what God wants. And if that's you, I would just encourage you right now, you don't have to say this out loud, you can just say it in your heart, this is between you and God, you just say, God, I want to live forever with you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the one who died on the cross so that I could be set free. Lord, I believe. I believe he died and I believe he rose again. And now I want to invite this Jesus into my life to come and live and to make his home in me so that I can know him and I can have this faith inside of me. Lord, thank you that you have made a place where I can spend all of my eternity. We love you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, friends, I love you. If you need prayer for anything, there'll be people up front who would love to pray with you. Otherwise, go in peace. We'll see you next week.